Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. We are going to crack into Proverbs, and uh, my goal is to, uh, is that me? Won't do it now. Maybe it's only when I touch the pulpit. Um, let's open in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you. I pray that your spirit would be here today in this room. Open our eyes, open our ears, help us to see things that we need to see. Give us wisdom, Father, beyond our years, and give us the strength, Father, to carry out the things that we know to be true. Father, be here with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to crack into Proverbs, and everyone would know that Proverbs are written basically, for the most part, by Solomon. It says in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. So he's telling you that he's writing, and we're going to see that there's certain parts of the book that are not written by Solomon. But for the most part, this is a collection of little truths, if you would. They're little, uh, that's what a proverb is. It's a saying, an expression, a figure of speech, if you would, that you can look at, and uh, it usually capsulizes a, a thought into a little saying that proves itself to be true forward, backwards, and upside down, if you would. And as we get into the life of Solomon, and as he's going to give us some wisdom, we start to realize that Solomon, for the most part, was considered one of the wisest men that ever lived. And uh, he's that way because he sat down there and asked the Lord one day for a special prayer request. As we know the story, Solomon was getting ready to take over for his father, David, and as we go now into the life of David, Solomon, you're looking at about 1,000 B.C. before Jesus ever shows up. The nation of Israel is starting to blossom and to grow. And as it's growing, uh, King David is there and really brings it to the height of what Israel is supposed to be. And he's a man of war. He's a man of bloodshed, David is. He was a, a mighty man of God that knew how to kill an awful lot of Philistines. He subdued a lawful lot of his enemies, and God was with him in the midst of all of his victories. It was David's desire to build the temple that sits in Jerusalem and to establish that as the main place of worship for the God of Israel to be seated. David built up the whole empire, and then he gave that empire over to his son Solomon. Benaniah was his name, or sorry, Jedediah was his name, and, and, uh, but yet he wanted to call him Solomon as well to say that he was like Shalom, peace be with you, to be a man of peace. And so Solomon then has to take over for this empire, if you would. So let's, uh, I want to turn and do, read some chapters of 1 Kings, if you would. So turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. Back up in your Bible a little bit, and you get a, a history of what's happening here. 1 Kings 3, verses 4. Let's start there. 
And you can see that he was given an awful lot to handle. And it talks about King Solomon coming to Gibeon to sacrifice. So he's going to be taking over as king. And it says, now when the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, speaking of Solomon, so he's going to this place to perform a sacrifice for God. He says, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. So he's sacrificing a thousand animals. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon. God comes down and speaks to Solomon. And notice, if you would, it says, in a dream. So Solomon fell asleep. He's speaking to him in a dream. And we believe that God can speak to us through dreams by night. And God asked Solomon a question in this dream and said, Ask, what shall I give you? So you can just picture this. What would, what would, God, what would you ask of God if God came up to you and said, You got one wish, one request. What can I give you? We fantasize about that scenario, and we think that we could ask for fame and money and long life. But Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father. So you can see what he's thinking. He says, David, my father is a great man. And, and Solomon, you're going to see, is a little scared to follow in his father's footsteps. And he says, because he walked before you in truth in righteousness and uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him and you have given him a son to sit on his throne, i.e. me. As it is this day, now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. So I'm taking over for my father. He says, but I'm a little child. I do not know, notice what he says, on how to go out or to come in. That's a strange figure of speech. He's saying, I don't particularly know how to act like a king. I don't know how to conduct myself like a king. I don't think I'm going to be able to fill my father's shoes, is what he's saying. I don't know how to go out, carry myself, make orders or to do anything or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be uh, numbered or counted. Too numerous to be numbered or counted. So he's taking over and he's filling a large job. So Solomon says, Therefore give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? So God comes up and says, You can have anything you want. And Solomon says, you know what? I'm taking over something that's a little bit over my head. I don't understand how to act like a king. I'm a young man. He says, I'm but a child. How do I fill David's shoes, the greatest guy that ever was? Can you picture poor Solomon, the kid, having to live with that? Oh, remember the good old days with your dad. Oh, remember how your dad ran everything. He really knew how to control everything. For a young guy, filling in those shoes, you could just feel that, that intrepidation there where he's, he's a little skittish. And he's saying, you know what, there's a ton of people here. There's a ton of things that happen. And notice what he's saying. I, I need to be able to discern between good and evil. I need to know those things. That's key in our lives, to be able to know what good is and what wrong is. And he says, for who's able to judge this great people of yours? They're your people, God. This is scary. I don't want to make a mistake. You can almost feel him say, I, I, just help me not to blow this job. The Lord heard that, and it says, the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. 
Wow, God's, yeah, that, that, that excites him. And then God said to him, you know, because you have asked this thing, you have not asked for long life for yourself, nor have asked for riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies. He could have asked for all those things, and God goes, you didn't ask what most greedy people ask for, but you've asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Well, behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you wise and an understanding heart, so that there has not been any like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. I guess that means that he's the smartest man that ever lived. No one before him, no one after him. And since you've asked that, I'm going to make you the smartest man that ever lived. And God says, and to throw in for boot, I've also given you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that there shall be... Um, there shall not be anyone like you among the kings of your days. So if you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So all of a sudden you're seeing where Solomon is being blessed with, you know, according to the Bible, you're seeing that he's the wisest man that ever lived. You're going to see that he was demonstrating his wisdom with a lot of different scenarios. He's going to take over. He's going to be blessed with riches and long life. And his enemies are going to be kept at bay. God's going to bless this guy. And for you and I, we look at the wisdom of Solomon and we say, you know what, I think I could learn something from this guy. <laughs> maybe he's got an insight into the world. Maybe, just maybe, he might know a little bit more, see a few things. The old adage is for Solomon... He could say, been there, done there, done that, got the t-shirt. He's going to experience many different things in his life. He's filthy rich. He's going to have a thousand women. He's got to have, I always get the numbers wrong, I think it's 700 wives and 300 concubines. So the guy's got a thousand women that he's had. He's got all the sexual experiences you could ever imagine. And he can say, hey, you know what? I've been there. I know what it's like. It's not like I'm lacking in the love area. It's like my father's going to give me a ton of cash and I understand all the money that's there. I have a whole empire that I'm king of and I can understand a lot of things of politics on what's been going on. And for you and I, you say, well, maybe when he gives us a proverb, we can listen. Now, I find it's rather interesting that he says, I need to learn to be able to go in and to go out. And he's asking. You could see in Solomon this, this level of, of, of fear on, on how to handle all the things that he's really doing is walking in his father's shadow. Now, if you know the story, we talked about how David wanted to build a temple for God. And he says, God, it's in my heart to build this. And at first, he has a prophet by his side, and the prophet says, go, do what's there. It's, it's a great idea. Let's build God a temple. Because David's like, why do I live in such a nice house of cedar, and God lives in a tent? And he says, that's just not right. Well, the next few days, God reveals himself to Gad, and then he says, no, that's not what you want to do, David. God doesn't want you to build it. You're not up to the task. And you can almost see David who says, man, I've conquered everything. I've done everything. I've acquired great wealth with my life. And he's being deprived, if you would, of, of, of building the, the, the temple of God that is supposed to rest 
in Jerusalem. And David comes to this scenario that that's where it's supposed to be because we understand the story that in Chronicles it tells that, that David was supposed to go out and he started to be filled with a little bit of pride in his life. And so as he was filled with pride, he decided to give an inventory of all the people that lived there and he counts the people. And as he's counting the people, the anger of the Lord falls upon David and says, what are you doing counting these people? Do you need to prove something to yourself? you need a head count so you can list your, your great accomplishments so you can pat yourself on the back? And once again, God speaks through the prophet Gad and says, you know what? Uh, you have three choices, David. You've blown it and you're going to pay one of three different ways. And he basically says you can have the enemies of Israel rule over you for three days. You could have something else happen to you. But basically it comes down to where you can allow the plague of God to come down upon the people. So David says, well, it's better to put your, hand in, your life in God's hand. So I'm going to allow God to take the people and put a plague upon the people for my sin. God comes in and starts to put this huge plague upon the people. Some 70,000 people are dying in this plague until David has a vision of this angel that has its sword drawn over the nation, over Jerusalem. And he says, look, man, uh, I see this angel. So he comes up and he says, I've got to perform a sacrifice to, to put a check to this angel that's destroying all the people. He cries out and he begs for the mercy of God. And he goes up to this guy, Ornan, and he says, Ornan, I want to perform a sacrifice right here where I see this vision, and I want to turn around and to call this to be the holy spot. So he has this uh, oxen that he buys from this guy, Ornan, and, and then he performs a sacrifice, and God puts a check in the plague that was destroying the people because David offered a sacrifice and he turns around and he says, on that very spot, on this guy's property, who was a Jebusite in the land of what will soon become Jerusalem, he's realizing that this is going to be the very spot that he wants to build a temple. So it's interesting. David says, I got the location, but I can't build it. I know God would like to have a temple, but it has to go to my son. Now, if you go to First um, Chronicles chapter 22... You can sit down there. Well, let's read a couple verses of it. There's a lot of it. A lot of things that are happening. And to me, it's amazing as you see David, and you don't really quite understand this. But please bear in mind that in 1 Chronicles 22, not 2 Chronicles, David's understanding this situation that he's supposed to in chapter 20, when it goes through it, it says, David prepares to build the temple. Chapter 22 of 1 Chronicles. Chronicles is a history, if you would, of what David is doing. He says, Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offerings for Israel. So he's saying, I want to build this right here on this guy's property. So David commanded to gather the aliens who were in the land of Israel. And he appointed masons to cut hewn stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the doors of the gates and of the joints and the bronze in abundance beyond measure. 
So he started to gather up some nails, if you would, in the cedar trees in abundance. He's starting to store things aside. For the Sidians and those of the, from Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. So interesting, remember that Tyre uh, brought much cedar wood to David. Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced. I've got this young, dumb kid. And the houses to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all countries. David says, I want to build the granddaddy of all palaces. And notice what he says. He says, I will now make preparation for it. So David made what? Abundant preparations before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and he charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. I wanted to do it, says David. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name. God says, I don't need you building this. Because you have shed much blood on the earth and in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you, and you shall be a man, uh, uh, and he shall be a man of what? Rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies. All around his name shall be, and, uh, and his name shall be Solomon, for I will give him peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall uh, be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom uh, over Israel forever. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you. So David's saying, Solomon, this is what you're given, and may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God as he has said to you. Verse 12, only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel that you may keep the law of the Lord your God then you will prosper if if you take care to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel be strong and of good courage do not be fear uh, do not fear or dismay indeed i have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord and so what did, Dave say, uh, what did King David set aside? He set aside 100,000 talents of gold. So a talent of gold is 70 pounds. So this guy has got 100,000 70-pound bricks of gold. It's a pretty good inheritance for dad to say, Son, I'm giving you a chunk of change. Here's 100,000 talents of gold and 1 million talents of silver. How's that? So, son, here's some change that I've been scrounging around. I want you to take this. I've been, I've been preparing. Oh, yes, you have, Dad. You've been scrolling away quite abundantly. He's been building the nails. He's been designing this thing. And he's been handing up some cash that he's been setting aside. And he says, uh, and one million talents of, of silver and bronze and iron beyond measure. We don't even count that stuff. For it is so abundant. I have prepared timber and stone also, uh, that you may add to them. Moreover, there are workmen with you in abundance, woodsmen, stone cutters, and all types of skillful men for every kind of work. Of gold and silver and bronze and iron, there is no limit. Arise, okay boy, get up, you got a job to do, and begin working, and the Lord will be with you. 
David also commanded, listen to this, all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon. So here's David in his old age. He's starting to take his money that he squirreled away, and he's giving it to his son. And now he's also going to say, well, my son's not going to just do this alone. I'm going to raise up a whole bunch of other people to help Solomon. And he's saying, is not the Lord your God with you? So he's going to raise up people and build a staff for him. And has he not given you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand. And the hand is subdued. Oh, and the land is subdued before the, uh, the Lord and before his people. So David says, I've killed all your enemies. I'm giving you his chunk of change. I'm raising up a bunch of people around you. And he says, verse 19, Now set your heart and soul to seek the Lord your God. Therefore, arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy articles of God into the house that is to be built for the name of the Lord. So David sits down there, and you've got to picture this old guy sitting here, and David is starting to give meticulous details on exactly what this temple is supposed to be. Not only does he say, here's the money for it, here's the gold for it, here's the stone for it, here's the nails for it. He's got the blueprints all set up. He's then going to turn around and say, now I'm going to turn around and almost redesign and redirect the whole thing of the priesthood. These are going to be the priests, if you would. So if you go to chapter 23, it, it gives you in 1 Chronicles 23 how David has changed around the whole priesthood set things in motion so people would start to do it. He then turned around and took the rest of the people that were Levi's, chapter 24, and he's starting to tell all the rest of the people on how they're supposed to be doing all the other things in the temple to start to take care of it. I mean, David has this down for which families do what and where, who's going to open the door, who's going to close the door, who's going to be on the worship team, who's not going to be on the worship team. David's sitting down there and he is scrutinizing every single detail, giving Solomon all the cash. And I find this amazing because most people think of Solomon. He's the wisest man that ever lived and he built the temple. Isn't the temple magnificent? When the Queen of Sheba, this gal, comes up and she meets Solomon, she sees the magnificence of the temple and she attributes the wisdom of Solomon just on how Solomon's house was set up. She's going, man, you're smart. Look at how you live your life. Secret of the matter is, Solomon <laughs> didn't do any of that. Uh, David put it all together. And you can see David... He's kind of, oh, I'm the greatest king that ever was. I've done everything. I've got all this money, and I have to entrust it to my son. And you could almost hear, I mean, what does a father say to a son? To say, you know, son, I have built a huge empire. I'm giving it to you. And you could almost hear David say, now don't do anything stupid and blow it. Boy, you are young, dumb, and inexperienced. And you can almost hear Father David, as he's still alive, saying, now we've got a process to do, to build. And now how does a young boy take over for the great dad that does everything right, and everybody thinks that he's the greatest thing since sliced bread, and everybody's saying, hey, do the right thing. Build the temple the way it's supposed to be. And as David set up the musicians, he set up all the treasures. He set up how to take care of the military. He set up the governors in public. He set up everything. And Solomon turns around and he wants to build the temple. And he's saying, uh, let's go to chapter 28, verse 
9. And you get more of the same spiel. He says, as for you, my son Solomon, know the Lord God of your father. You stay strong and don't deviate religiously where you're supposed to be. And you serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. So how do you like that? Here's dad coming up to you. Boy, don't, don't blow this, okay? My whole life's wrapped up in this dream of building this temple. And I need a loyal heart. I need you to figure. And you know what? God looks right at you. He's got x-ray vision. He's looking right into your heart. So poor Solomon's like, look, man, I don't know what I'm doing here, you know? And, and you can almost fear him. But he's saying, he's saying uh, if you seek him, uh, we're in the middle of uh, verse 9, right? He says, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, if you forsake him, he's going to cast you off forever. So consider, you think about that, boy. For the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. So be strong. Don't blow this opportunity and do it. And then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule, its houses, its treasuries, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, in the place of the mercy seat, in the plans for all that he had by the spirit of the courts of the house of the Lord, for all the chambers all around, of the treasuries, of the house of God, of the treasuries for the, uh, for the dedicated things, for all the divisions of the priests and the Levites. So he's handing Solomon this huge set of scrolls, these huge set of blueprints for everything, right? Look at all the detail that David's got worked out, right? And he says, for the divisions of the priests and the Levites, for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord, for all the articles of the service in the house of the Lord, verse 14, he gave gold by weight for things of gold and for all the articles used in every kind of service. Also silver for all uh, articles of silver by weight for all articles used in every kind of service. The weight for the lampstands of gold and their lamps of gold by weight for each lampstand and its lamps. And the lampstands of silver by weight for the lampstands and its lamps according to the use of each lampstand and by weight he gave gold for the tables of the showbread for each table and silver for the tables of silver also pure gold for the forks the basins the pitchers of pure gold and uh, in the golden bowls he gave gold by weight for every bowl and for the silver bowls uh, silver by weight for every bowl now <laughs> David must have been spending years fantasizing of how he wanted to build this. He's sitting down there saying, now, every little bowl, even the silver one, he's going to say, well, that needs to be a six-ounce bowl. That needs to be a seven-ounce bowl. And he's just sitting down there, has every single detail meticulously given to Solomon. Isn't that amazing? So here's Solomon. He's taken over, and he's like, well, gee, Dad's pretty much got everything figured out. Now, if you were that son taking over for that, what would you say? Doesn't look like I got too much room for an imagination, right? <laughs> Could you say, well, I think I'll put the palm tree over there in green, you know? Or maybe I'll just change that over to red. You'd be like, no, 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 no. Dad's got this all done. Dave's going to rule from the grave, if you would, on how this is going to get done. So even though he can't build it, God said he can't. He is going to have every single detail meticulously put together. I find that just amazing on poor Solomon had to carry this weight. 
And it goes through all the things that he's going to says, uh, So he's going to turn around and get all this stuff done. And David's going to turn around and die at the end of uh, First Chronicles here. Solomon is the one that's going to take over. Wonderful things are happening. So can you just picture for why Solomon comes up and he says, You know what? I'm scared to death. I, I, God, I, I want to be your man. I want to do what's right. God reveals himself into a dream and says, you can have whatever you want. Can you hear Solomon now start to say, I just want to be able to know how to come in and come out. I just want to know, God, don't let me blow this. Please. My father's put such a guilt trip on me. <laughs> My father has everything designed. My father is the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, 500 years after David, everyone still heralds him as the greatest thing since sliced bread. You can never measure up to your father's footsteps. And David is a little scared. I mean, Solomon's a little scared. And he's saying, you know what? Uh, God, just, I want to know how to come. Give me a discerning heart. Help me to put this together. And so sure enough, as David dies, Solomon then goes into a massive construction project. Now, I find this to be very interesting. One of the things that starts to happen in, 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 as soon as David dies, all of a sudden, you see this guy, uh, King Hiram. Hiram comes up, and he's the king of Tyre. And he says, bingo, your dad died. Now, here comes all the wood. Here comes all the construction materials. And it's like the bell goes off, and everybody starts going into a massive construction plant. And I find it interesting that one of the things that really kicks off Solomon as he starts to be filled with wisdom and starts to go is this guy, the king of Tyre, is Hiram. And if we went back into 1 Kings, you could sit down and see that the first thing that happens is this guy Hiram of Tyre. Tyre is the region just north of Israel. And Tyre is one of the places that send down a lot of the skilled workmen to start to build the house. Interestingly enough, it's not really put together with Jewish labor. The skilled craftsmen of Tyre, this region up to the north, is going to be a place that uh, this guy Hiram is one of David's great friends. And he says, now that David's dead, what I'm going to do is to make sure that Solomon starts to build the temple the way that his father did. Turn with me one more time. Hang in there with me and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel 5, verse 12. Well, let's back up. So here's David starting off his ministry, if you would. And David is a scared man himself. Now just listen to this a little bit. David was a man, when he started off, he was the corporal in Saul's army, if you would, that raised up through the ranks and killed Goliath. And as he killed the beast, he became an instant hero. He married the king's daughter. The king, Saul, at that time became jealous of him. David then went on a long run from the king because of King Saul's jealousy. David then, as Saul is, dies in battle, he starts to take the throne. 
And as David is taking the throne and gathering all Israel together underneath him, it was a very difficult transition. And one of the things David did is he goes into the Jebusites, which is the land on which is going to be Jerusalem. Uh, and it says, let's back up to verse 6 there in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And the king and his men went up to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, uh, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here. Na, 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 na. So these people that used to live in the land are saying, You can't come up here. He says, But the blind and the lame will repel you. So they're going, David, <laughs> he goes, You're a sissy. A blind man, a lame man could whoop on you, David. The Jebusites are living up there, and they're going, Na, 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 na. It's on a high ground, if you would. And they're, and they're making fun of David. They're ripping on him. They're going, a blind guy could whoop you one-handed, right? And so uh, David's saying, you shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you. Thinking, and this is what they were thinking, David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David as it is. And this is where David wanted to call his capital. And this is where eventually he's going to check that plague at the end of his life. And that's where he wants to build the temple. So now David said on that day, he says, whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul, he said by chief and captain. So he goes, whoever gets to go up there first and kill those guys will be my chief and captain. Therefore, they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And as we know, Joab did that. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called, the city, uh, called it the city of David. And David built all around from the Milo and inward. A Milo is a military tower, if you would. And so David went on and became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. Now listen to this. It says, then Hiram, right, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, and carpenters, and masons. And they built David a house, just a house to live in for himself. Now listen to verse 12. It's a beautiful verse. It says, So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Interestingly enough, when David starts his kingship, something triggers inside of David that he knows that it's the right thing and that he's destined to be king. What was it? It was when Hiram came in and recognized him and said, you know what? Who's Hiram? He's an enemy, another nation. Listen to this. He, it's an outside source confirmed in David that he was king. Now, David struggled with a lot of fears inside of himself, right? As he's struggling with a lot of fears inside of himself, he says, look, I want to be king. I know I killed Goliath. I don't feel right about being king because the old king hated me. Is this what happens? And you can see that David was plagued with insecurities. As David was plagued with insecurities, he turned around and something tripped inside of him to say, nope, God wants me to be king. What was that? It's when Hiram turned around and said, Hey guy, I'm not part of your country, but I recognize you as king. I'll send you some lumber, I'll send you some stone, I'll send you some things. So you see what's happening? There's this concept that all of a sudden that 
you have a sense of security inside of yourself when you are given a task that is larger than yourself when you see someone outside of yourself confirm you to understand what you're doing. I could have the same concept. When I started pastoring, we started out with five people. I kind of thought the church was a joke. You know what I mean? And you almost say, well, you know, we're bebopping through life, and, you know, and I'm just here for a while. This church has got to crumble. And, and, and you, you can become grossly insecure with yourself. But it's nice when another pastor of another church can sit down and recognize the work that you're doing in a certain sense. Do you see how that works? Now let's play with this a little bit, okay? If, if David got the confidence that he needed to be king from King Hiram, right? Solomon goes through the same process of, of recognizing he was finally king when Hiram came in and started to send down the lumber that his dad had told him to do it, and it established him as king. Now this is just a weird thought. The king of Tyre. Do we know of any other passages that may deal with the king of Tyre? Ezekiel 28, huh? Ezekiel 28 uses the king of Tyre as an example that is described as Satan. And we recognize that Tyre in his pride is equated with Satan in his pride. You familiar with that? We just finished Ezekiel, right? Are you familiar with that? We just finished Ezekiel. Are you finished with that? I better hear a resounding amen. <laughs> okay, I haven't failed completely. Question, Dave. <laughs> the, exactly. The economy, the trade, and he was the king that lived out on the island that thought nobody could touch him because he lived out on an island. And so he could say, na 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 to King Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar goes in there and tackles part of him until finally Alexander the Great sits down and smashes him completely into the future and uh, at a future date. But if that be a true analogy, and we know that what Ezekiel is talking about as the king of Tyre is not King Hiram, then you know the type of things that are happening. And I just want to make a simple point. You can throw it out the window if you don't like. But sometimes in your life, you can feel established in what you're doing if there comes a time when you can be dealing with even the enemy or going through a trial of the enemy to establish yourself as feeling that you're king. A long point, but Solomon could establish himself as king when he was recognized by another king, Hiram, off to the side, when he stood up for himself, and when the training wheels of his father were gone, he started to take over. Let's put it that way. And what I see sometimes is in our life that we want to hold on to the training wheels in our life. We want to have things just in a nice, neat package. But for you and I, in order to really establish ourselves, we have to sometimes go and walk a walk all by ourselves to know where we stand before the Lord. Solomon's request for wisdom was merely one to say, Lord, I'm getting to ride my bicycle. I don't have any training wheels. And all he's saying is, 
I'm scared and I need you, Lord, to hold my hand. At which point God said, man, I like that prayer. That's, that's awesome. And because you said that, I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to sit down and give you great wisdom. And not only that, we'll throw in the money. We'll throw in the women. We'll throw in all the long life that you wanted. We'll throw all that in because Solomon, you're going to be the wisest man that ever was. And all I can say is that Solomon's wisdom comes from a place from seeking the Lord, just as you and I, that is coming from a place of in fear and intrepidation. You and I can be afraid, we can be scared of certain things, and we need to say, Lord, give me wisdom through this. I got my big dad who's given me all the blueprints. He's told me how to put every single spoon into place. I've got every single thing done. I've got all things taken care of. And he's just saying, Lord, I don't want to blow it. Now, for you and I, it's the same thing. We have received an inheritance, according to the New Testament, of being given and called a king's kid. We believe in the New Testament that Jesus Christ was perfect, holy, and blameless. He could walk on water, okay? That Jesus came into this world and he suffered and died on the cross. And as he died on the cross, we believe that the Bible is telling us that an exchange took place, a trade-off took place. That Christ's perfection that was in him that could walk on water gets transposed to us if we believe and trust in him. Our lives of sin were placed upon Christ so that he would bear the punishment for our sins, though he did not deserve it. And yet we believe then, as we accept Jesus Christ into our hearts, that we then become heirs, just joint heirs, co-workers with Christ, and we're redeemed and we're brought into the family of God. Now, trust me, as we sit down there, and if you understand the gospel message that if you accept Jesus Christ as Lord, you can be given a privileged place of honor in the king's house. And a lot of us can sit down and we say, well, Lord, I don't know what to do as a child of God. I don't know what to do as a king's kid. Lord, you've given me a big mandate to be holy and to be Christ-like. I'm sorry, I don't think I've got it all figured out how to be Christ-like. And our prayer needs to be, well, Lord, help me to live a Christ-like life. Help me to live a life of holiness. Show me how to conduct myself as a Christian so that I can live as a Christian. And if our prayer is that, then the same prayer uh, and the same results where Lord says, that's what I like. We should wake up every morning and say, Lord, what do I do with today? Lord, you've handed me a bucket of blessings. I don't know what to do with them. I don't know how to conduct myself. You're blessing me every single day and you're opening up opportunities. And it's almost like, you know, Solomon could say, my father's already, you know, planned every single thing in front of me. What do I do with it? And we need to have the same response and to say, Lord, I, 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 you've given me an inheritance in Christ. You've given me eternal life. You've given me a forgiveness of my sins. What do I do with it? And the Lord will answer that prayer and give you wisdom and understanding. Book of James will say that. Who's ever lacking wisdom, the promise is there to you that he will give it to you. And so we need to sometimes say, Lord, you're blessing me. And notice, if you would, and I want to just reach for this one point. 
that if you truly understand your salvation, you would have a sense of fear and intrepidation, shaking in your boots a little bit, recognizing that we don't understand exactly all that we're to do in Christ. Listen to this. It's okay for you and I to have a sense of fear, godly fear, to say, Lord, help me deal with my situations. It's okay to say that. We don't have to run around saying, oh, I know everything. I'm going to do all this. It's a snap. There's a mandate Solomon got from his father to say, don't blow this, son. There's a mandate we get from our heavenly father. Jesus mandated us. He said, don't blow it. Be strong. Be courageous. Be of good courage. Go forward. Be bold. Be strong. Those mandates come to us, and God wants to bless those. Amen? So now let's get to Proverbs chapter 1. It all works together. Listen to this. It, it's just, it flows like honey from here. He says, so these are the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David. And I like that. He's like, this is what dad, this is my, I got my dad, king of Israel. He says, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma. I love that word enigma. It means an unsolvable puzzle. The words of the wise and their riddles. And then he gives us the first truth here. He says, the fear of the Lord, that little bit of the shaking in your boots, is the beginning of knowledge. He's saying don't ever lose that cutting edge of having a respect for God and the overwhelming task that's in front of you. He says, but fools, a fool, despise wisdom and instruction. So listen to this. That was his interesting, his, his introductory salvo, if you would, where he's blasting us. To have a sense of fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's what starts it all. Now listen to this. He says, my son, hear the instruction of your father. Now can't you just hear? Now Solomon's writing this like, I'm your wise old father. And you, young man, listen to me. But honestly, can't you hear this as Solomon is saying, this is my dad. He's in the grave and he's dead but he's haunting me, and I'm hearing this voice. And I can just hear my dad say, as he's sitting there on that rocking, board, rocking chair, he says, My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother. And we're going to get into the mother of Solomon, uh, who is Bathsheba. And, uh, and Bathsheba is probably going to be the woman that's at the chapter 31, the virtuous woman. But they will be graceful ornament, uh, they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chain around your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol. And you can just hear the bad influences that can destroy a young man. And, and whole are like those who go down to the pit. 
We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. So there's always this, this tempting gang of crowd, if you would, that says, come on, join us in crime. Let's go beat up some people and steal their cash. And he's saying, he says, don't, don't lose the instruction of your father and don't let these people sway you. And says, let us all have one purse. Verse 15, he says, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. So you can almost hear Father David speaking to Solomon. And the second proverb that really is here is surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. And you go, okay, any bird brain, the bird, if you're trying to catch a bird and you want to set a trap for it, you can't catch a bird by setting the trap in front of it. It's never going to walk into it. Any bird brain is smart enough to avoid that. And then he says, well, the human, don't you be stupid enough to fall into the trap of a whole bunch of people that says, come on, let's go beat up some people. Let's go shed some blood. Let's go be murderous in what we're doing. And David's saying, any bird brain can figure out you're not supposed to pursue those type of people. Stay away from those things. And you could just see David, he's saying, Solomon, I'm giving you every single thing I've ever worked for. I'm trusting my whole life into my nincompoop son. And he's saying, hey, buddy, don't blow it. And don't take all my money and squander it with a bunch of foolish friends that say, come on out and party. I didn't make you the richest guy in the world for you to be dumb. And now Solomon is saying the same thing. You've got to have that sense of fear and trepidation shaking in your boots to say, God, you've given me so much. What do I want with it? And just to read out the rest of the chapter, but it's good. It says wisdom. It says, verse 20, calls aloud outside. And notice now wisdom is personified. It's almost like what we would say wisdom is a truth. It's now going to look like a woman. It's called a she and now you think of wisdom as this lady. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses where people are crossing back and forth. At the opening of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. So wisdom is there, almost beckoning to this young man. And she says, how long, you simple ones, you bird brains, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke, where she says, listen to what I'm saying. Turn at my rebuke where I'm chastising you. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you, because I have called you and you refused. So this woman is begging this young man to say, please come over. Think of what's right. But if you refuse the, that call of wisdom screeching at your conscience, she says, because I have called you and you refuse, verse 24, I have stretched out my hand um, and no one regarded. Because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. 
I will mock you when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, then distress and anguish come upon you. And they went then, oh yeah, when it all falls apart, then they'll call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For their turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. So I love this scenario of the woman is, is now speaking out as she's wisdom and she's saying, please listen to what I'm saying. Don't be so foolish as to squander and to be ignorant with the things that you have. Christian, you've been given a life. A fool, a fool takes his life and squanders it. You and I all know that we have a conscience that bears us witness as wisdom calls out to us and tells us what right and wrong is. Ecclesiastes says that God put eternity in our hearts. All of us know what right and wrong is. All of us can hear the voice of wisdom crying out to us and saying, wake up, wake up, wake up. Don't run and be so foolish and to fall into bloodshed and murder and mayhem. And yet so many of us can just turn a deaf ear and go about our ways. And when we fall into that trap like a dumb bird brain, then wisdom sits back and mocks us and says, if you would have only listened, if you would have only listened to change your life. The beginning of wisdom is to fear God. It's sad it's sad when we have been given such a gift, especially as born-again believers, that we have the rights of kingship into God's kingdom and we squander it like there's nothing. But every single one of us that's saved or unsaved has a life. We have one life to live. It's a gift. Man, if, if we're born that we're not retarded, if we can walk, if we can talk, if we can do so many things, it's a precious gift of our life. And there should be a sense of responsibility in each one of us to be able to say, Lord, help me to do the right thing. If you're so blind that you can't see the pitfalls and traps around you, as there are people that are falling into the depths of sin and depravity and are being destroyed, if you can't see the destruction of alcohol in this world, if you can't see the destruction of drugs in this world, if you can't see the destruction of sexual perversity and what a trap it is, so many people are the simpletons that seem to be blind to the obvious truth, and they're worse than a bird brain that walks into a trap. And it beckons us and it calls us. And for me, I was at a point in my life that I said, Lord, what do I do with my life when I first got saved? There was a time in my life where I said, I have no understanding. The first thing that hits you, the first ray of hope, is when you start to say, I've got a life. What am I going to do with it? 
Lord, am I going to wind up to be a bum? Am I going to wind up divorced? Am I going to wind up miserable? Am I going to wind up beating my kids? Am I going to wind up a drug addict? It wasn't too long when I was 22 years old. I was in the Marine Corps. I already had friends of mine, peers of mine, people I knew on a regular basis die from overdosing on cocaine. And yet you can see Dave still turn around and snort the thing the next day. And you go, now where's the brain in that? But it's the gift of God that can wake you up to turn around and to say, the beginning of all wisdom is to fear God and to say, Lord, what am I doing with my life? And when you can come to a place to say that your life is precious and that it is a gift of God, and you can sit down there and then come to the conclusion and to say, Lord, you've given me something. Help me not to blow it. And if that merely is your prayer to say, Lord, help me not to destroy this gift that you've given me, you are on the right path. God will answer you. He'll start to speak to you. He'll whisper in your ear. You'll start to hear the voice of wisdom calling and beckoning to you. And you're starting the process of falling into the arms of God and away from the destruction of this world. And just picture poor David saying, son, I'm giving you everything. Don't blow it. And can you picture Jesus saying, I just died for you. I love you. I'm going to give you. And notice what David, uh, 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 Jesus says, Matthew chapter 16. You can just see it. He says, hey, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Can you see Jesus with a little bit? Can you picture the father who says, son, who's 16, I'm giving you the keys to the car. <laughs> right? I'm giving you the keys. When you have keys, you have what? You have control. You have access. You have privilege. Right? Jesus comes up to us and he says, I'm giving you the keys. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom, boy. Don't be stupid. And immediately you see that Jesus says, Peter, Satan wishes to come in to sift you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. You're going to be the leader of the church. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a little scared. <laughs> I'm praying for you, boy. <laughs> Jesus says the same thing. He's giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven when you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, give your heart to him. And we need to have a sense of knowledge and, and understanding to say, Lord, you've given me a gift. Now, please help me not to make a fool out of myself. Help me not to be as stupid as a bird brain. Help me to sit down there and do what's right. I just want to know how to come in and come out. I just want to know how to act like a Christian. I just want to know how to, you know, not make a dork out of myself when I stand up and say that I'm a Christian. Lord, help me to get through today. God answers that prayer. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.